Okay, uh, we are in Philippians chapter 2, and we are looking at verses 19 through 24 this morning. 19 through 24 this morning. And uh, I'm going to read through it. We're going to pray and we're going to jump right in. Paul writing, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged or cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not of those, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you also. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Help us, God, to live faithfully for you and to live as the people that you've called us to be. Lights shining in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going through the book of Philippians. We're going through verse by verse. That's what we like to do here at Destiny Church. And one of the unique things about teaching the Bible this way is you inevitably come across sections of Scripture, passages of Scripture, that you would never choose to preach on, ever. This is one of those passages. It seems as if it's just Paul giving his travel itinerary and his travel plans and Timothy's travel plans. And this morning, I have to confess, I would have never, if it was up to me, ever looked at this and thought, I've got to preach Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 24. In fact, one of the commentaries I was reading this week said that no one's favorite Bible verse is in this passage. We can be assured of that, that your, your favorite Bible verse is probably not Paul talking about sending Timothy to the Philippians. Uh, however, there's a lot going on here that we're going to unpack this morning, and I think it is actually going to be very fruitful and a blessing to you. Now, let's look a little bit at Timothy. Who was Timothy? Where does he come from? How, how do we come about knowing who this this man, Timothy, was that Paul wanted to send. Now, remember, Paul is in jail. He's in jail in Rome. Paul can't go and visit the Philippians, though he would like to. And so Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy to visit you, to encourage you, and to come back and to bring news about you to me that would encourage me in jail. So Timothy, who is Timothy? We're first introduced to Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is where we're first introduced to Timothy, and he becomes one of the most prominent figures in the whole New Testament and in the early church. He was a native of the city of Lystra. And Paul visited this city three times on his missionary journeys. And it was on his second missionary journey that Paul travels through Lystra. He, he meets this young man, Timothy. He, this young man has a, a very good reputation among the church. So good, in fact, Paul is so impressed with this young man and so impressed with his character that Paul invites Timothy to join him and Silas on their missionary work and in their ministry efforts. And from that time on, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He joins Paul and travels around with him and becomes a very important person in the ministry of Paul and throughout the New Testament. 
And here we see that Paul praises Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him. There's nobody else like Timothy. Paul says that he would be genuinely concerned for the, the welfare, the well-being of the Philippians, that he genuinely cares about other believers. It's not just a pretense. He goes on to say that other people are not this way. Other people that Paul has known and even worked with in the past don't seek out the interests of others, but they're in the ministry for their own interests and their own welfare and not to bring glory to Christ, but that Timothy had a, a, a single-mindedness of, of, of working for Christ and working for the good of others. And Paul even goes on to say that he is proven and tested. His worth has been proven over many years. In fact, at this point, uh, it would have been about a decade that Paul had been ministering alongside of Timothy. And so that puts Timothy in either somewhere in his 20s, his, his early to, to late 20s more than likely. Now, it's not only here that Paul describes Timothy in this way with this kind of glowing language. Throughout the New Testament, we see Paul call Timothy my true child in the faith, my beloved child, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and my fellow worker. Paul became a father to Timothy in the faith and trained him in the, the ways of God. And, and Timothy worked alongside of Paul and grew up in the ministry. And as he was Paul's son in the faith, working alongside Paul faithfully, he was often sent by Paul to go where Paul couldn't go for various reasons. Paul couldn't go in this instance because he's, you know, in jail in Rome. But other times Paul couldn't go back to certain areas because uh, Paul's presence there became so inflammatory. People hated Paul so much that wherever he would go, riots would start, turmoil would start. And so he could send Timothy in and it, it wouldn't be as disruptive to uh, uh, the city or, or the church. But we see that Paul sent Timothy to Corinth to address issues that they were having in the church. He sent Paul, Timothy to Ephesus to rebuild their leadership. Their whole leadership structure had collapsed because false teachers had come in and destroyed the church. And so Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to replant and rebuild that church. He sends Timothy to Thessalonica to check on them. And here we see Paul sending Timothy to Philippians. In seven of the 13 New Testament letters that Paul writes, Timothy is named or mentioned. He's mentioned not just in passing, but in these seven letters of the 13 that Paul writes, Timothy is named as a co-author. It's Paul and Timothy writing to the church here and there. And so Timothy was a very influential figure in the New Testament. In fact, two of Paul's letters were written directly to him, First and 2 Timothy. 1 and 2 Timothy. And Timothy became such a blessing to Paul in his ministry. Again, Paul says, I have no one else like him, my true and beloved son in the faith. And so Paul, in that second trip, he, he invites Timothy along with him. But what I find interesting is what happened to Paul on his first trip to this city where he found Timothy. On Paul's first trip through Lystra, do you know what happened to Paul? 
It didn't, it, it didn't go well. It, it wasn't a good trip. In fact, Paul faced in Lystra some of the most violent opposition that he faced anywhere. It was in Lystra that the people stoned Paul, stoned him. Now, because we live in the 21st century, I have to dis, you know, define that for you. They didn't force him to smoke marijuana and get high. That, that's not the kinds of stoning we're talking about. No, stoning was a form of mob violence, of, of mob execution, where, where a violent mob would descend upon someone and, and murder them by throwing rocks at them, by throwing stones at them. It was very barbaric, very violent. And the city of Lystra, the people of Lystra, they, they opposed Paul and his message, the gospel message, so violently that they stone Paul and they think that he's dead. And so they drag him out of the city and basically leave him outside the city in the garbage heap for dead. Now the text in Acts, this that's Acts chapter 14, the text is not abundantly clear whether he was all the way dead or again, like Princess Bride says, mostly dead. I don't know. But he, he was in bad shape. Can we all agree? If you've been stoned and the people who stoned you think you're dead, you, you're either dead or, or in really, really, really bad shape. And when that happened, the believers in the city, they encircled Paul. Possibly Timothy was a part of that group. They prayed for him and, and God miraculously healed Paul or raised him from the dead. And he continued his ministry. And so I find it very interesting that Paul's greatest blessing in his life, Timothy, sprung up out of a place of one of Paul's darkest seasons, one of his greatest hurts, a place where he had suffered the most. From that place, from Lystra, comes his true son in the faith, this faithful man of God who served alongside Paul. But isn't that true for most of us? Isn't, haven't you found that to be true? Isn't that the way God works? That oftentimes through the deepest and the darkest valleys is where God shows himself the most faithful? In the deepest and the darkest times, from that fertile soil of hardship springs forth Something that only God can do. You know, God is the one who takes what is dead and brings it back to life. To, to take what, what, what men meant for evil. You know, that's what, what Joseph said of his brothers at the end, towards the end of their life after their father had passed away. Their brothers, his brothers came to him and were apologizing and were saying, we're really sorry and Basically, don't seek revenge on us now because our dad is gone. And Joseph said, no, 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 don't you understand? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good. Amen. And this is the way that God works. What the enemy means for evil, because God is sovereign, because God is good, he is, like Romans 8.28 says, working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And I just find so much comfort in the fact that Timothy sprung up 
out of a place that Paul was stoned. Now, not all of Paul's companions, so, so let me just back up and say, if you're going through a dark season, if you're going through a valley, if you're going through a time where it seems like th- this could never get better, j- just hold on. Just wait. Don't throw in the towel. Hold on to God. Hold on to his word. Grab, grab a couple of brothers and sisters in Christ and, and hold on to them and, and let them encourage you in the Lord because God is the one who takes and works all things together, all things, all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Keep pressing on. Keep Standing, You know, Paul writing to the Ephesians, talking about the battles that we face in life. He says, having done all to stand, stand, therefore. Amen. Having done all to stand. You know, sometimes it feels like I, I can't even take another step. Well, don't, don't even worry about that. Just stand. Just stand firm. You know, that's what Moses told the children of Israel when, when they could go no further. When all of the, the obstacles were in their way, the Red Sea was in front of them, Pharaoh's army was be, behind them, Moses told them what? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, sometimes that's all we can do is just stand. But we stand, we must. Not throwing in the towel, not going back, not giving up, not giving in to the pressures, whatever it is that surrounds us. That's where God's word is so vital. That's where the power of the spirit is so vital. That's where the community of the saints, of the brothers and sisters in Christ are so vital because there are times where we are so weak that we need others to lift us up, to help us to stand in our faith. And Timothy became that for Paul. He became that for Paul. Now, not all of Paul's companions... We're so faithful. In fact, Paul here in this passage contrasts Timothy with another group of people that he calls they. Verse 21. They, he, verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. So Paul contrasts Timothy with they. Well, who is the they that he's talking about here? Well, if you'll recall earlier in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, which you you should have memorized by now because we've uh, spent, I think, a whole year almost in Philippians 1. But if you'll remember in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15, verse 15, He he, he said that some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others do it from a goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so it could be that Paul is talking about these uh, people, these preachers who didn't believe the gospel, didn't believe the truth about Christ, but instead were, were preaching to somehow afflict Paul. 
though Paul knew that they were not true believers. So it could be he's talking about people who preach Christ with the wrong motives. That could be the they. In Paul's other letters, he actually mentions people by name. In 2 Timothy 4.10, he calls out a man named Demas. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a, don't be a Demas. Don't be a Demas. I have to tell my kids that sometimes. Don't be a Demas because I don't want to say something else. So he, this man Demas was in love with this present world. His love for Christ was overshadowed by his love for the things of the world. And he forsook Paul. That was Demas. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 19 and 20, Paul tells Timothy, hold the faith in a good conscience. But by rejecting the faith, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So there's Hymenaeus and Alexander. That could be the, the they that Paul has in mind that had made shipwreck of their faith, had rejected the truth of the gospel. Again, Alexander is mentioned in 2 Timothy 4. We don't know if this is the same Alexander or not, but he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. And then Paul names this man Hymenaeus again, and this time he has another companion named Philetus. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul tells Timothy, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. I find it interesting. I've, I've, I've known and met many Timothys. I've known and met many Tims in my life. I've never met a Demas. I've never met someone named Demas. I've never met someone named Hymenaeus or Philetus. They're not popular names. Timothy, very popular, because he was very faithful. I've met a few Alexanders. If you're an Alexander here this morning, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here today. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a great name. But Paul contrasts Timothy with these other unfaithful teachers, these, these false teachers, these, these people who had ministered alongside of Paul for a season, had preached, had served, but had left the faith. They had turned their back on Christ. They had turned their back on the people of God. They had turned their back on Paul. And I think, you know, if I could press a point into you this morning, it would be, of course, that God can bring wonderful things out of bad circumstances. But secondly, it would be that there is such a thing as false teachers. 
There is such a thing as, as, as people who claim to represent Christ, who claim to preach the word, who, who claim to be faithful, who in fact are not. There is such a thing as false teachers. Now there are true and real and genuine and faithful ministers of Christ. Paul here names Timothy as one of them. But on the flip side, there are the false and the fake and the phonies, the charlatans. And we shouldn't be surprised at this. It shouldn't be like some news flash or grand revelation that, that there are false teachers. In fact, of the 27 books in the New Testament, 25 of them all warn of false teachers and false teaching. Jesus warns of false teachers. Paul warns of false teachers. Peter warns of false teachers. John the Apostle warns of false teachers. I want to show you a, a little bit. I want to I paint a contrasting picture for you this morning of the true, of the real, of the genuine that Timothy represents and the false and the fake and the phony that the, in this passage, the they represent. So Jesus in Matthew 24, he warns, he says, see to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. So Jesus says that many will be deceived by false teachers. Jesus warns this. He warns it clearly. He says, pay attention. Stay alert. Watch out. He says that, we, that, that people will come disguised as sheep, but inwardly they are like ravenous wolves. The, the, the phrase wolf in sheep's clothing is from the Bible. Warning about false teachers. Now, I, I told you I wanted to look at several passages today, so I want to invite you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, I, I said I would probably, if I sat around to pick a topic to preach on, I would probably never pick this topic. However, I do think it's very important for us to be able to distinguish between the true and the false, between the real and the genuine, between light and darkness. And of course, where do we go to find that out? We go to God's Word. So I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I think this morning. I'm going to tell you what God has said about this subject. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All, the majority of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to rebuke the Corinthians because they have received false teachers into their church. And these false teachers are dividing the church and destroying the church from the inside out. Satan has two main um, weapons that he uses to try to destroy the church. One is persecution, visible, uh, violent, physical opposition to the gospel, persecution, and there are brothers and sisters all over the world today who are under the threat and suffering persecution for their faith in Christ. 
We should remember them often in our prayers. That they would stand strong. And that God would show himself faithful in the midst of what they are suffering. So there's persecution, but then the the other method, which is a lot more prevalent in our country today, is lies, deceit, deception, division, corruption of the truth. And and that's not necessarily visible. That's not physical manifestation. That is a spiritual manifestation. And so when Paul talks about Uh, We don't wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, physical, fleshly, uh, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Spiritual warfare is opposing the lies of Satan with the truth of God's word. That's spiritual warfare. That's what spiritual warfare is. And so those are the two main ways that Satan will try to take down a church, try to block the kingdom of God, try to ruin your faith. Physical persecution, which honestly we're we're not under the threat of in, in any kind of historic persecution sense. But the other is lies and deceit, which we're seeing in 2 Corinthians and which is unfortunately very prevalent in our world and has been very prevalent since the very first churches were founded here in the New Testament. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians to rebuke the Corinthians for bringing in false teachers and to help them understand why they are not true and genuine teachers. And so there's lots of places we could go to in 2 Corinthians, but I I want to highlight to you uh, chapter 11 and verse 13. Paul says that such men are false apostles. Now, again, we're jumping right into like the end of this letter. And so there's a lot of context that's already happening, but he's laid out a case and he's saying these, these people that you have invited in to your church You've invited their doctrine in, their teaching in. They are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, he says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Isn't that what Satan does? Every temptation that he places before us. Isn't it, there, there's some sort of bait. There's some sort of, of something alluring. There, there's some s- sort of attractive thing. Every temptation, you never see the hook. You, you, you never see the trap. You, you never see the fact that when sin is full grown, it produces death. That, that's never put on full display. But what's presented is something good, something charming, something attractive, something to pull you in. And that's what he says here, that Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. And so he says it should, verse 13, it should be no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. However, their end 
will correspond to their deeds. And Paul puts the hope that we have in the last day when Jesus will bring justice, ultimate justice, to the world. So he, he, he gives a warning, you know, in this, he's, he, there's a warning here. That those who are false, those who are not true, those who have disguised themselves to be apostles of Christ, to mislead other people, to, to lead people astray, there, there is a day coming where they will reap what they have sown. Uh, just this week, uh, just last night, I was reading in my news feed uh, the, this very long um, interview with a, a former evangelical darling that uh, fell from his great, fell from his position, fell from grace through sin uh, last year or the, the, the year before, I think in 2020, I'm not going to name his name, uh, but he, he was giving the interview and, and he went on to say, you know what, I never really believed all this stuff anyway. I never, I, I never really believed any of it. It was just a business for him. And, and, and again, it's just another example, and, and we could go down a very long list of, of people and, and the, the names that you would know, and again, Paul even names names here in, in his letters. Just over the weekend, this um, interview has come out, and he, he, he says, I never really believed all that anyway. And so it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't take us off guard if, if we're in a place where when something like that happens, it is shocking to us. We need to allow our mind, our thinking to be trained by the scriptures. First and foremost, where Jesus warns us of this, Paul warns us of this. In fact, from 2 Corinthians, I have a list of 24 characteristics that Paul labels false teachers and says, this is what to look out for. Now, I'm not going to give you all 24 of them this morning. Uh, if you want those, you're going to have to come to the Second Corinthians unit in KBI, and I'll, I'll give it to you there. Uh, but, but it's very extensive, the portrait that's painted. And, and I, again, I want to look at Jesus' words. We're looking at that, those were Paul's words. I want to flip over to Peter's words, uh, what Peter said about this. And so go towards the end of the New Testament, Second Peter if you get to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John or Revelation, you went too far. But Hebrews, James, 1st Peter, and then 2nd Peter. And again, the, the, the main thrust of 2nd Peter is a, is a warning to the church about inviting false teachers into their midst. And, and the, the point is this, the point is that when the church is not under the threat of physical persecution, sometimes we, we get lackadaisical. Sometimes we get comfortable. Sometimes we just think that everything's okay, and we kind of tend to check out a little bit. And the great warning here from Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John is that just because we're not under the threat of physical violence, we still have to stay engaged. We, we still got to show up. We, we still got to be 
thinking on, on the truth of God's word, knowing that Satan, just because we don't see physical manifestations of violence against the church, it doesn't mean that Satan is not working and moving. And in fact, we have seen over the last 50 years and 30 years and 10 years and two years, an ever-increasing hijacking of our culture away from the things of Christ and towards ungodliness. It's not an accident. This has been well orchestrated and well planned and well executed by a select group of people who hate God, hate His Son, and hate His Word. And we're living in the result of it. And might I submit to you that it, that the church may have been asleep a little bit during all of that. That, that and by the word church, I mean the, the believers, the, the Christians. The, unfortunately, many believers have been caught up and swept away in the deception. So the threat is real. The threat is real. We're, we're always at war. We're always at war. And, and we have to have a warlike mentality in our walk with the Lord. Again, our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? Our enemy is spiritual forces, demonic powers, lies, deceit, and deception, which ultimately will manifest in physical, violent persecution. Like, that's where this is going if God does not intervene. That's where this is going if God's people don't wake up. Is persecution of the church because the culture is being deceived. What an encouraging word I brought this morning. <laughs> Second, Peter. That's why I started with that first part that good things can come out of rough places, which, which gives us hope in the midst of the chaos, which, which shows us that God is ultimately the one who can, can turn this thing around. And his people got to wake up. Amen. So 2 Peter chapter 1, and, and, and you know what we got to do? We just got to read the book because it's all in here. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says that false prophets arose among the people. Now here he's talking about in, in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, that just as there were true prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Malachi, all of these true prophets, there was also false prophets. And, and what's interesting is there was a lot more false prophets in the days of Israel than there were true prophets. It was very easy to find false prophets who, who would prophesy lies to the king. It, it, was, it was one or two generally within a generation that would be raised up that would actually speak the truth. And so he says, false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. False prophets, Old Testament, false teachers, New Testament. 
And what will they do? He says, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So they, they will not hold fast to the word of God. They, they will not hold fast to the true doctrine. They will secretly bring in, bring in, where are they bringing these heresies into? They're bringing them into the church. Secretly bringing them in and that they are destructive, that they're designed to destroy the church. Even, he says, denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Again, pointing towards that ultimate day where they will stand before the Lord. Now, now here, here's something very important that you need to see. Verse 2. Look at that word there. And, what does it say? And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It's a warning. But, but notice here the word many. That should alarm us. That should be, that should be one of those words that that is a gut check. Many will follow them. So, so false teachers will be popular. False teachers will have book deals. False teachers will be praised by lots of different people. Just because someone is popular doesn't mean that they are true and real and genuine. Just because they are heralded as Real doesn't mean that they are. Again, this leader I mentioned, they, they, they had a, a long tenured time as a golden boy in, now, now you know it's a boy, but a golden boy in evangelicalism. So again, it's not always evident who is true and who is false. What what ends up having to happen is it, it, it comes out over time, over many decades. No, but again, this word, many. So, so popularity is not the sign of a true man or woman of God. So what are they motivated by? Well, here he tells us that they're motivated by their own greed. Verse 3, in their greed, they will exploit you with their false words. They want to sell the books. They want to sell the DVDs. They want to fill their coffers. They are using Christ to line their own pockets. Paul contrasts Timothy with this, this group of false teachers. He says, Timothy's not like this. Timothy is genuinely concerned about your well-being. Timothy is not seeking his own interests, but he's seeking yours and the interests of Christ. Again, in, in chapter 2, if we flip down to verse 14, he, he, he goes on and says some of the marks of, of, of a false teacher is that they have eyes that are full of adultery. 
insatiable for sin. They have an appetite for, for sin and that they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts that are trained in greed. Accursed children, he calls them. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They had followed the way of Balaam, who was a, a prophet who was hired to speak curses against God's people. And so he, he, sold, out, he sold himself out for money. Again, these people are full of sin. They have an appetite for sin that cannot be satisfied. They prey on unstable people. And they have hearts that are trained in greed. Flip over to 1 John quickly, 1 John chapter 4. I wanted to show you a, a passage from Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John. It's just... The next book over, 1 John chapter 4. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. What, what do we test the spirits by? The word, the written word of God. To see whether they are from God. For, and, and again, this word shows up here. For many False prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God, and every spirit, by this you, let me start over verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So they hold to an orthodox doctrine of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was fully God, fully man. Jesus, God, Christ in the flesh. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, hold to the historic, orthodox teaching, doctrine of Jesus, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. So the, the spirit of the Antichrist is not something that shows up at the end of the world, it's, it's been here since the New Testament age, and it's here right now. And it manifests, how does it manifest? It manifests in opposition to Christ. And I would submit to you that opposition to the Word of God is also opposition to Christ. Jesus is the Word made flesh among us. And so do not be deceived by people who say, well, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel. But they don't hold to what the word of God teaches. They, they try to lead down some other crooked path. No, if you're not, if you don't have allegiance to the word, you don't have allegiance to Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, verse 4, he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. So we don't need to live in fear. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we don't need to be afraid of false teachers because we have overcome them. And Jesus is in us, the victor. 
Now, verse 5, he says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So one way of identifying false teachers is if there's a group of unbelievers who really love them, they're probably not preaching the truth. Because unbelievers do not like the true gospel message. Because the gospel message says to the unbelieving world, repent of your sin and trust in Christ and make him your Lord. That, that's the message of the gospel. And you will receive salvation and healing and reconciliation. That, that's, unbelievers don't care for that kind of rhetoric. And so if there is a, a, a so-called Christian minister, teacher, that is loved by the world, loved by unbelievers, it's a, it's a really good sign that they are not preaching the truth, but are in fact sprinkling a little bit of Christian lingo on top of the false doctrine that they are serving up. Again, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to the us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So how do we know the spirit of truth or the spirit of error? Does it line up with the word of God? It's the ultimate and final and only standard. So, back to Philippians chapter 2. Quickly, quickly, wrapping this up this morning. Starting to wrap this up this morning. Genuine ministers, what are they? Paul gives us a portrait here. Number one. They put others' welfare above their own. Timothy, Paul says, I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned about your well-being. So others before themselves. The second thing is that they have a single-minded devotion to Christ. These other false teachers are, are distracted by, by other pursuits generally wealth, generally showy displays of wealth, but not true ministers of Christ. They have a single-minded devotion to Jesus, first and foremost. And because of that single-minded devotion to Christ, they themselves turn around and, like point one said, serve others. Into verse 22 we see that they live a life that is marked by sacrifice and service, not self-indulgence. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. It's not about himself. It's not all about him. No, but he serves. It's a life that's marked by sacrifice and service and not self-indulgence. And then the fourth idea I would submit is that they live a surrendered life to the Lord. A surrendered life. And we know that Timothy is living a surrendered life because he is willing to be sent wherever 
the Lord needs him to go. Certainly, Timothy, in, in all of our own hearts, we have our own plans, our own thoughts, our own desires. But Timothy lived a life in complete submission to the Lord. And if you need me here, I'll go. If you need me here, I'll go. If you need me to talk to these people, I'll talk to these people. It was a surrendered life. I'll go where you want me to go. And so in conclusion today, I invite our worship team to come. Because there are false teachers, we must be discerning. We must be discerning. In a day and age which anyone and everyone can have a worldwide global platform, we must be the most discerning generation on planet Earth. We have to be. Because there are so many people saying so many things. We must be discerning. And again, how are we discerning? Well, we have a mind that is trained by the word of God. A mind that is trained by the truth. A mind that is trained and in submission to Christ and his word. We must be discerning. We, we must know what people's doctrine is. You know, the, the two qualifications for a minister that's given in the Bible is godly doctrine and godly character. Correct doctrine and godly character. That's it. It's not a magnetic personality. It's not charming good looks. It's not the ability to craft a phrase and get people excited. It's not even how gifted someone is. The qualifications for a minister are faithful doctrine, correct doctrine, holding fast to the word of God, and then godly, Christ-like character. And so we must know the truth of God's word if we're going to spot the lies of the enemy because the lies are subtle. If we don't know the Bible, if we don't know doctrine, if we don't know theology, it will be impossible for us to identify and to distinguish between the true and the false. We must know it in our hearts. And again, we live in this amazing day and age where you can Google anything at any moment. And so, you know what this has done to people? It's made people intellectually lazy. People don't know anything anymore. You don't need to know anything anymore because you could just find it out in two seconds. But God's word and our faith, we shouldn't take that approach. Instead, we should, as the scripture says, study the word of God. Because as God's word comes in, it washes our minds. It transforms our hearts. And it has an effect in us. And, and God shapes his character in us through his word. We cannot simply be content to say, well, if I need to know the answer, I can just Google it at any time. No. We must be well-trained in the Word of God. We must have minds saturated in the Word of God. We must learn to think in biblical categories of, of true and false, of right and wrong, of good and evil. We must learn to spot the subtle deceptions of the enemy as he tries to sneak in just a little bit of lie and mix it in with the truth. Because a little lie is fully swallowed is equally destructive. It's about letting that truth seep deep into our hearts and deep into our souls that we would be transformed by the word of God. And so Christian, 
I'm calling you today to discernment. We're commanded in the word of God to be discerning. To not listen to just any so-called preacher, any so-called Bible, whatever, because they have a big platform. No, to, to, to have our minds well-trained in the word of God so that we can spot truth and error. To saturate our souls, we must be discerning in this hour. We, if we're going to listen to anybody, we need to research them. What do they believe? Do they hold fast to the truth? And then what is their character? Things that are hard to find out today, which should, should give us great pause because the church was designed to be a place where you could see the way your shepherd lives their life, that you could see their character on display we weren't designed to just receive ideologies from people that are 300, 400, 1,000 miles away. We don't know their character and we don't know their doctrine. It's dangerous because there are many false teachers in the world. So we must be discerning. We must have our minds trained in the truth if we are not going to be led astray by the lies of the enemy, which are running rampant today because of social media and the way the internet is working. So let's go back to my first point. God can work great things out of bad situations. Amen. Amen. So we ended on a high note. All right, we'll stand this morning. Again, as I said, nobody's favorite verses are going to be found in this passage. But it is important for us to recognize the true and the false. And Paul draws this contrast for us today. And so let us examine our hearts. Are we being discerning? Are we studying the word? Are, are we being diligent? Or do we need to grow in this area? Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be faithful to you. Be faithful to your word to listen to the voice of your spirit and to be your people, not led astray by the deceptiveness of the enemy, the lies of the enemy, but standing true and holding fast to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.